especially as you think about innovation products and being able to leverage sort of the, the things that they're buying already into those categories, creating new categories, anything along those lines. you learn about customer buying behavior from giving away more than a billion dollars to consumers over the course of a decade welcome to clever tap engage my name is john Gutsier. and i'm peggy ann saltz and together we profile the executives and companies achieving meaningful memorable and clever customer engagement in this episode, we're chatting with a CMO in the exploding digital commerce space. They have more than 40 million users. They work with more than 5,000 brands and retailers and see more than two and a half billion purchases every single year. So one of our goals here to find out how targeting high value customers and marketing together have changed during the last years, especially in the privacy revolution. So our guest today is Rich Donahue, Chief Marketing Officer at Ibotta, a cashback app that rewards shoppers for their everyday purchases and provides retailers and brands with a unique way to connect with their customers and deepen loyalty. He's held a lot of positions in the marketing space, recently, as I said, CMO, but also in the marketing organization at Ibotta for eight years. And prior to this role, he worked at Kraft Heinz and Red Bull. So welcome, Rich. Hey, nice to be here. Nice to see you both. Super pumped to have you. Uh, let's talk about Ibotta right off the top because it's a bit of a beast. I mean, two and a half billion purchases annually that you see. I'm, I'm almost wondering that's more shopping data than just about any other retailer outside of China. How's it work? It's pretty simple, actually. Uh, we, we work with savers and we ask them to send us their receipts or link a loyalty card to get their shopping behavior. And then we partner with brands to give them cash back on the items they buy. That can be um, anything from CPG goods like, like Oreos or Cheerios or sort of the household staples um, up to their online purchases. So any of the electronics that they might be buying at Best Buy or, or do-it-yourself stuff that they might be buying at like a Home Depot or something along those lines. So cutting them in on the deal so that they can get their cash back on, on just about anything that they're, they're looking to buy and, and helps us sort of ensure that we're furthering our mission to make every purchase rewarding. That's really what, what it's about. And especially right now, times are tough. For a lot of folks, um, we're able to sort of partner with them to make sure that they're getting cash back on everything that they buy. So sounds great from the point of view of me, I'm buying something that's great. What's the reason that brands or retailers work with you? Yep. Well, I mean, their end goal is to sell more product, right? They want to they want to get you to buy what they have. And so they want to reach you at the point uh, where you're making that buying decision. And, and ultimately, one of the best ways to get you to try something is to uh, to give them an incentive. So they want you to get it in your hands and they want you to try it. And, and then they hope that you'll come back sort of get it the next time. And one of the best ways to do that is reach them when they're in a shopping mindset. So uh, if you're on Ibotta, you're, you're obviously thinking about going to the store. You're thinking about what's going to be on that list and what you're going to be purchasing when you go, right? What am I going to put in the kid's lunch? What am I going to make for dinner? And if we can offer you a new product in a category that you're interested in, something that's relevant to you, uh, something that you're interested in, give you a couple bucks back on that purchase, then you're going to try it. And if you try it and you like it, you're going to, you're going to come back for more. So we're really reaching them at a time and a place when they're thinking about what they want to purchase. And, and that's why brands like it, right? They're able to sort of get their message out in that moment when it makes sense. Nobody wants to be interrupted when they're reading a news article 
about something and have to click through and then add it to their list and, and go through all of that, right? They want to read their article. They want to they want to do the thing that they're there to do. And, and when they're with Ibotta, they're they're in that mindset. So it's a pretty powerful engagement moment for the brands, and and they see that in sort of the volume they're able to move and the, the sort of engagement they're able to get with our audience, which is which is really exciting. Very interesting because it's baked in context in a way. I was thinking the same thing, Peggy, because, you know, I mean, we, we talk a lot to advertisers, people who advertise and brands and retailers and everything. And this comes from the same budget in some sense. It could, but you're right. It's not interruptive. That's quite interesting. I hadn't thought of that perspective before. It's why it's so much different than a lot of the stuff that people have put out historically um, and sort of the traditional tactics, right, that are they're sort of breaking in while you're doing something else. Um, we are sort of inherently part of what they're looking to do in that moment, which uh, makes it more memorable, makes it more impactful for the, the consumer to think about it when they're walking through the store later or, or in that moment or, and for the brands when they're trying to make that impression on people. So at some level, you're changing our habits, but that isn't all that's changing, right? Everything is changing mm -hmm. where we are right now. We're reopening. We're slowly emerging from COVID. Retailers have been D to C, mixing digital, physical, commerce, high inflation. You mentioned it yourself. Consumers think differently, approach those purchases differently. It's challenging and confusing. Tell me about that. What are you seeing? What's changing about e-commerce? Everything is changing. I mean, so many more people are shopping just online, right? They're they're making orders for groceries. Um, you know, when COVID hit, I think everybody sort of scrambled to figure out what they would do. Consumers, brands, retailers, publishers, everybody was trying to figure out how to interact as their lives were changing sort of in the moment and, and trying to figure out how they were going to interact with their, their customers and if they were still going to have customers or how many more customers they were going to have, right? So. Um, I think the biggest thing was, and I mentioned a little bit before, you got to reach people where they are and you got to make it relevant to them because you, you got to focus on the things that, that matter. And so I think as habits changed, we had to adjust with that. At the beginning of the pandemic, we were an in-store only sort of uh, grocery shopping experience. We didn't accept sort of the e-receipts. We didn't allow for the online grocery sort of submission. And we realized that like listen, like just about everybody's going, moving in this direction. We got to support that, right? Like we created an initiative um, actually to replace March Madness program that we had because there was no March Madness that year, something called Here to Help, where we partnered with brands. And to the, the brand's credit, right, they stepped up and they said, hey, like we know people are struggling. We got to reach them and we got to help them out in this way. And that's going to garner goodwill. So we built that campaign in that way because everything was changing, right? We didn't have a basketball tournament to promote and brands to partner with for that. And so we had to create this this new initiative to sort of roll with that and, and interact with the consumers that way. And I think the one thing that, that didn't change was that you know people need to eat um, and people always want to get cash back. And, and especially when people are worried about where their next paycheck might come from, cash back becomes a critical component to that. But the reality is, you know, there's a, a lot of supply chain challenges right now that are making it difficult to get items that you want, the, the pieces of, of um, promotion that you want to put out there. And, and brands are looking for ways to talk to the consumer, even with those challenges. So they might not have a perfect supply chain going on right now, but they still have to stay top of mind. They still have to sort of continue to figure out how to promote their products and, and make sure that people are interested in buying them. And so um, tack on that, plus the privacy changes with some of the biggest providers, whether it's Apple and, and Google's got some changes coming down the pike or 
What are some of the challenges with some of those digital platforms and how people are just starting to rethink, you know, how they measure and how they how they go to market? Um, so, so much has changed uh, in the last three years. It's it's keeping you on your toes. Never a dull moment for you, certainly, Rich. I have to ask, though, because you mentioned it yourself, you know, in the midst of all that change, major change, advertising identifiers going away, how has Apple's ATT impacted you? It's made it more challenging. I think everybody's experienced sort of uh, difficulty in targeting and, and reaching the right audiences. I think you can still reach them. You, you might have to pay a little bit more uh, for it right now. Uh, but it's opened up opportunities for us and, and our partners because as those sort of traditional digital channels, those direct response channels have become um, a little bit tougher to, to sort of peer through and see what you're getting, uh, we do have a direct relationship with consumers and, and we're able to provide that information back to people in a pretty clear way. And so as some of those issues have reared their head, we've, we've benefited on our side as a partner for, for some of these brands and some of these retailers and some of these advertisers, which has been great. Um, but it's changing the way that people are having to think about their tactics, right? They're having to, to think about how they're gonna reach these consumers in a different way and, and how they really wanna evaluate the health of their programs. Um, because it's really easy to, at least before, say, hey, we're gonna spend on this audience and this is who we're gonna get and it's straight dialed, but you're not exactly sure how that audience goes. It goes a little bit back to where we might have been, you know, 10 years ago before the the real heavy rise of identifiers and one to one and, and the attribution and um, you sort of pick an audience how you think you're going to go reach them and you find the right channels to go do that and then you rely on the strength of the program that your team puts together to to know that you're going to move the business and it might not be as instantly gratifying because you don't see that that attribution sort of day one but you know that you. You sort of built the program the right way and you got to trust it. So it's a, it's a little bit different than it was, you know, a year ago, two years ago. ATT is almost a curse and a blessing uh, at the same time for many people. Uh, and I think mm -hmm. for you as well, because uh, in terms of acquisition and growth, it's a bit of a curse. It makes it more challenging. But in when you have that audience, when you have those people who are there, you're first party. And Absolutely. now when brands need to come into that, you have that trusted one-on-one -on -one relationship with those consumers and all of a sudden they have some challenges reaching the exact audience they need but you've got great data on who shaves <laughs> who doesn't yeah. who doesn't <laughs> who does other things <laughs> exactly right and and so that's actually it makes it more challenging uh, especially direct consumer brands smaller brands to narrow down a specific audience but you've got that data so there's a benefit there potentially as well no doubt. No doubt. I mean, um, anytime you can have access to your your saver base, as we call them, our consumers, and then we can lend that credibility that we have, you know, as a rewards network with these savers and the ability to give them cash back to those brands, we're a trusted resource, right? And like I said, people are coming to us uh, to find these items, find these offers, um, and it makes it for a really impactful sort of engaging relationship. I think the other thing that that I was, I was chiming in on a little bit was just also that it's an opportunity for us to take a step away from sort of that direct response advertising and push into channels that aren't as directly attributable and, and trust that, you know, they are the right way to reach these consumers. Whereas I think we've certainly done, I think a lot of, of companies have pushed hard into that direct response. I know exactly what I'm getting and thus where I'm going to put my dollar. Um, the ability to open up and, and push into traditional tactics that may have been struggling with some of those 
instantly sort of measurable things. I think you need a mix. Um, and I think we had maybe as an industry leaned really heavily into one side, whereas, you know, the, the appropriate way to do it is with a balance. That makes a ton of sense for you because you have a broad audience. You have customers from, it's a wide swath of customers. Mm -hmm. You're not going to rely necessarily on a whale, like in a digital game, to provide 90% of your monetization. So that makes sense. You can do some broad targeting and get in some broad categories and still serve them very well. That's interesting. really exciting is that you seem to be starting your own category, Rich. You're talking about rewards as a service. What is that? Yeah, it's really interesting. It's something that we've been working on for a number of years. Um, as we partnered with these brands, as we partnered with the retailers, uh, ironically, I just said, you know, they're looking for different ways to move volume. Uh, they loved what we were getting, right? The ability to reach our audience, the ability to move products. To, we were paper performance. So they weren't paying for the impressions. They weren't paying for the clicks. They knew what they were getting units moved with our model, which was awesome. They just wanted more. Hey, give me more people. Give me more targeting. Give me more capability to you know, close the quarter strong with a program to, to drive that key seasonal window, whatever it was. And, and we've done a great job of growing. We've got over 40 million, as, as John mentioned up front, and, and that's that's awesome. But you can never have enough, I guess, is, is the answer. And, and the best way for us to get more was really to go out and find those relevant moments, as I talked about before, where we can extend those rewards, extend the rewards that we have, the cashback offers that we have into those shopping moments. And so we've, we've part, we're you know, building out this network to distribute these rewards and, and ultimately what that's going to do is it's going to offer over 100 million opportunities to reach consumers across this network so that wherever you're shopping is the goal, you're going to be able to get those rewards, whether that's on a retailer website, um, you know, like a Kroger or Walmart or something like that, or a publisher site. Think about recipe sites, right, where you're, you're looking for that recipe and you're like, man, it would be great to get a couple bucks back on this casserole or whatever it is. And we can we can insert those sort of rewards the right time in the right place, right? It all goes back to that a little bit. Like you don't want to just serve it up if it's not interesting to people. You want to allow them to potentially save it for later. Um, nobody wants to read that article and, and get clipped off into loading a cart, right? That's not what I'm there for in the moment. But the goal is to present those rewards and make that experience a good one. And that any time ultimately that you want to end up going to the store and shopping, uh, be it for groceries or be it for electronics or be it for clothes or whatnot, that you're going to be able to make that experience a rewarding one. And, and the benefit of building out this network is that we're going to be able to deliver at scale, sort of unprecedented scale in the promotion space and the reward space, uh, the ability for these brands to interact with these consumers. And, and ultimately, it's, it's great for us because we're able to extend sort of the ability to get cash back and rewards. It's great for retailers that participate because they're offering more and more to their customers, right? They're making each trip more valuable to them. And in this landscape with inflation doing what it is and consumers trying to stretch their dollar, any opportunity for a retailer to offer a little bit more, stretch that dollar with them, um, at no cost to the retailers, right? All funded by the brands, that's a win. And then these publishers are looking for ways to engage people. So if you can offer the right content to people in that moment, that's gonna make your experience more sticky and they're gonna, they're gonna benefit from it. So we really see this as an opportunity to sort of um, extend what we've already been doing and then allow retailers and publishers to take advantage of that as well. And, and ultimately the advertisers, these brands are gonna benefit from it because they're gonna get 
um, the rewards that we've been able to offer them historically through our platform, through not only Ibotta, but, but through this network as well, which is really going to be exciting. You see a ton of retail customers, uh, and pretty frequently, I'm guessing. What are some of the key signals of high intent versus just sort of semi-random window shopping? The biggest intent is when people, especially on our platform, they unlock it. They activate that that offer. They see something, and they come through, and they're like, yeah, that is something that is of interest to me. Um, now, that doesn't always mean that they're going to go out and purchase it right away. And in some instances, they got to go into the store. In an online shopping instance, they still got to jump out of Ibotta and go to the site. Um, one thing that we've seen uh, as we've introduced our browser extension over the last year or so is that we're able to, to toggle people into that purchase more effectively because they're already on the site. And we can allow them to understand that um, they are getting the best deal because one of the things that people never want to do is, is miss out on that deal, right? And so we've introduced some price comparison technology that allows people to have that peace of mind. And I think that's the biggest trigger for, am I going to window shop today or am I going to buy it, right? They, they show that intent and then our ability to make sure that they get the right price or that they have confidence in that purchase is something that's ultimately going to be the biggest signal or the biggest um, thing that drives them to be a buyer, which is always great for brands, right? We want to convert them in that moment because as soon as they walk away, like we can reach back out, the brand can reach back out. We can say, hey, you abandon your cart and do that whole thing and, and get into the life cycle of, of trying to get them back into that shopping mindset. But if we're able to move them in that moment and we understand that they are, they have that interest, then we're able to uh, facilitate that purchase, I think, more effectively than most, which is, again, why brands like working with us. It's a good segue because we wanted to talk about engagement and keeping consumers engaged. You've recently started offering alerts for nearby deals. Um, that's interesting, right? I mean, Peggy and I will remember way back a decade ago, Bluetooth beacons, right? When that mm -hmm. was all the rage. Yep. It seemed yeah. so long in the past and yet now it's working. Talk about engagement and some of these new tips and tricks. We started as a mobile app first and foremost. And so one of our biggest challenges historically was always just making sure that people remembered to use us. They got 50 different apps on the phone. They're walking into a grocery store. They got kids on each leg. Like, why, why, <laughs> why are they thinking about Ibotta in that moment? And our ability to send them that gentle reminder, send them some relevant deals that we know because they've shared their personal shopping list with us in the past and said, hey, you know, I like yogurt, I like eggs, I like these things. Our ability to remind them, hey, you got you got this cash waiting for you. It's a pretty powerful uh, ability to engage in that moment. Again, like they're in that shopping mindset. They, they don't want to miss out on that deal. So our ability to nudge them in, in that moment where they got a million things going on is great. Um, and because we are relevant to that experience, the brands are able to take advantage of that sort of legitimacy as well, right? We're able to make sure that we're on the top of their consideration set when they walk through that cereal aisle or down that pasta aisle. Whereas, you know, maybe their opportunities in the past were a, an aisle blade or a, a, a coupon dispenser or something like that. Um, not, not as impactful, not as engaging, not as legitimate. But yeah, the, the Bluetooth thing is, I remember when I was, I was laughing to myself when we were talking about putting a, some of those beacons on like POS displays or something like that in order to engage the message. And it's like, but, but who are they going to notify and how are they going to notify and what are they going to interact with in order to get yep. that message in front of somebody? Um, and we've come a long way from those days. So we're happy to be able to take advantage of it. But again, like we don't want to abuse that just because we have that ability to hit people with the message. If 
we hit you 15 times, you're just you're going to turn it off, or you're going to you're, you're going to go call it banner blind to it. And, and so we want to make sure that we're we're sensitive to the fact that you know you've given us this opportunity to engage with you, but uh, we got to be mindful of that because if we over if we abuse it, then you're going to we're going to we're going to lose that privilege. I'm listening to how you approach this at a high level. You know, we've got almost three R's, and I love things like this, right? We've got rewards as a service. We have relevancy. We mm-hmm. have recommendation. That comes together in a really powerful model. But you have to make certain, still, you're getting it out to the people. Now, you talk a lot about your capability to target the shopper mindsets and moments. Tell me about that, but what does that mean in the framework of segmentation yeah i mean at, at the end of the day you want to reach an incremental customer right you want to reach somebody who's new to your business um it's great to reinforce for people who are already a category buyer who are already interested in your product who are loyalists you don't want to exclude them right i think a lot of brands make that mistake they, they go well they're already buying my product so i can ignore them and i'll go after this other group Sure, until they're buying your competitor's product because they're talking to them and everybody's trying to conquest everybody else's uh, shopper from the retailer side. They want you to go into their store. They want you, they want that foot traffic. They want that online traffic. And brands are no different, right? They, if I'm a yogurt buyer, every every yogurt company wants to talk to me. And just because I'm loyal to that that one brand today doesn't mean I'm not going to, you know, venture off to the other one because they give me an incentive because they tell me something interesting about their product because they're you know supporting local local dairies i don't know whatever the message is that that resonates with people if you're not talking to that person even if they're loyal it's probably a matter of time before they they go and try something else and i think uh our ability to sort of understand the nuance of of how heavy you're buying what you're buying how often you're buying and all that and and that's given to us by the consumer right our savers are sharing that because we're cutting them in on the deal with these advertisers that allows us a pretty powerful opportunity to work with brands to provide savers uh, interesting deals and, and interesting cashback mechanisms. And I think that segmentation is really powerful. And it's because we have that shopper data that we're able to offer that, right? Like you can segment, you know, into categories and reach a, a, an audience with a propensity to do a certain thing or, or a propensity to buy a certain product. But knowing the person has actually bought that product, knowing that they have bought the category, or knowing that they haven't, but they bought an adjacent category that has a high propensity to cross over, that's really powerful to a marketer. That's really powerful to how they think about building their audiences and, and building their brands, um, especially as you think about innovation products and being able to leverage sort of the, the things that they're buying already into those categories, creating new categories, anything along those lines. It just becomes a really interesting sort of way to start to construct your programs and then leverage the information that we have and the the way people are buying to build outside of Ibotta programs, right? How do you think about your media? How do you think about what these people look like? What are the insights that we can provide you to extend that? Um, We've run some really interesting programs with some of our brand partners where they've taken the insights that we're able to provide and then extend that into some of their external media, right? And the results have been super strong that way. Um, It's just, information, right? Insights that, that we can garner, um, I think too, about how difficult it is to, to run a, a survey or intercept people after they've bought a particular product, a new product in particular, and get the insights about how it's working, what's working, why people like it, 
we know that people are buying a particular product. So if you launch that product and you want to get quick feedback on what people like or don't like or how easy it is to find the store, we can send that survey out and get brands that information, which sort of shortens the feedback loop on this new product introduction or, or whatever it is. I remember one one product um, that will go nameless in this instance, but they had th their packaging was such that people were expecting to find it, I think in a bag versus a box, um, but it was packaged in a box. And because it was in a box, people were walking right past it on a shelf. And the ability to sort of understand that insight ultimately led to that switch from that, that CPG manufacturer and sort of got them on the right foot with this new launch. And so the ability to sort of understand what people are, are doing, what their behaviors are, where they're going, what they're not doing, and maybe more importantly, what they're not doing versus what they are doing, uh, allows them to lean in on their future marketing efforts in a pretty big way, which is, which is cool and something that's not readily available from, from a bunch of uh, different partners. Let me ask this, Rich. Um, we're seeing a massive redefinition of marketing right now. You've touched on it already, right? It's driven by regulation, GDPR, other things like that, by mm -hmm. technology changing, Apple's decisions, Google's decisions, even Facebook on attribution, other things like that. How is life changing for you as a CMO and how is brand versus performance changing? Yeah, it's, it's top of mind every day, that brand versus performance dynamic. I was talking to somebody recently and um, I'll take credit for it, but they were like, it's brand formance now. And, <laughs> and it's kind of very true, right? It's um, used to keep them very separate, whether it was separate siloed budgets, whether it was just different teams working on it. And I think more and more brand teams are thinking about that bottom of the funnel. Not that they didn't think about trying to move units or trying to engage people, but, but it was more about that top, right? That impression, how many eyeballs can we get? You know, are we, are we making an impact that way? And you had the performance marketers thinking, you know, I don't care how many people see it. I just need them to move. I just need to move product. I need to make sure that my metric is on point and that I'm delivering on, on this key ROI goal that I have. And I don't think you can look at it in that siloed way uh, anymore. It's all merging together, right? Like you're not going to have the audiences that you once had. So you're not going to be able to attribute quite the same way. And I think anybody who's not looking at that funnel holistically and going, listen, we may not be able to measure that, but we know it fits uniquely into the strategy that we're trying to do and, and the people we're trying to talk to. And, and a little bit of it is just, you got to trust that the, the pieces working together are going to be the sum of the parts that you need, right? And, and that when you start to evaluate things in their silos, it probably just isn't telling the whole story and you're going to have those gaps and you need to, we've talked about this a lot with our team, trust that the ways that you used to reach people, the methods that you're using probably aren't, aren't working the same way and that you need to continue to reinvent the way you're talking, the way you're sending that message out. And that's, that's B2C, I think generally, but I think it's B2B too. The way people are consuming media, the channels that they're consumer, consuming it on and when they want to consume it is different, right? They're going to opt into things and they're going to care about the things that they opt into and they're going to care a little bit less about the things that are interruptive to their experience. You got to have that right message out at the right time. Um, but balancing that with the things that are going to get them over the line at the end of the day, I think is, is how you have to look at the entire equation. And if you're not looking at all the parts, um, you're probably worse off than you were because of all these regulations, because you can't lean as deeply into one area as you and take advantage of that quite as strongly as you might have before. 
and you're probably not going to have that relevance at the top of the funnel quite the same way. And if without either end of that, you're just not going to get there. So brand formants, that's, that's kind of where it's all merging together, it. right? You got to, you got to get it all together. Um, and if, if you're not, then you're going to sort of be left out in the cold a little bit. Brand formants, uh, it's, it's new to me. I don't know if it's new to you, Peggy, but uh, I'm taking credit for it, even though it's not mine. <laughs> I'm stealing shamelessly. Officially, Rich Donahue, <laughs> CMO of Ibotas, <laughs> phraseology, brand formants. Rich, thank you so much for this time. It's been wonderful. Thanks. No, this was fun. Appreciate it. Thanks so much, Rich. And we have a new word. We have a new vocabulary. Thanks just to you. Thanks for being here. Mm-hmm.